Hello and welcome to Energy Voice Out Loud, leading the global energy conversation. I'm one of our reporters, Ryan, and today I'm joined by someone that I'm surprised you're not too busy to join us, because I, I will go through your job titles, but I feel like it might take the whole recording. So on the on the board for Serica, offshore, uh, the supply chain champ in the UK, on the Aberdeen Harbour board, working with the UK, there's, there's a lot. So, Shan Lloyd-Reese, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you, and um, thank you for having me, actually, Ryan. Good. You know, I, we, I just mentioned that you've got the, possibly one of the longest resumes in the business. <laughs> you just just announced that you were uh, joining Serica's board. Um, wh- how did that come about? Well, I think, as, as I mean, I've had a long career in the oil and gas industry and in the energy industry. Um, more broadly, I've been on a number of industry boards, um, industry organisations, OE UK, obviously, um, and the Harbour. And it's a natural extension, I think, to the role that I do as the UKMD uh, for mainstream renewables is board roles. Serica Energy is a particularly interesting company, doing exceptionally well, very focused on oil and gas and, um, and the UK. And it was just a good fit, and I'm delighted to be on the board. I'm glad to hear it. And, you know, you're working uh, in sort of renewable spaces quite a lot. That's obviously a hot topic right now. And is, is that something you're sort of bringing to the, the work at Serica as well, or is that...? Oh, absolutely. So when we start to look at the energy transition, it's about the renewables, the uptake in renewables. It's also about just improving sustainability and decreasing emissions in the oil and gas, cleaner energy all round. So I see everything as a continuum as opposed to separate industries. So it's, uh, I think that sort of feeds into the, the message that I think industry is trying to bring about quite often, isn't it? That it's, we're going through a transition or revolution. It's not out with the old and with the new. It's, it's a sort of steady change, right? It is. And a, a, a transition by its name needs planning. It needs a plan to be able to provide the affordable energy uh, that the world needs at the same time. So we have to be uh, mindful of how we do that. And I see that oil and gas and some of the renewable energies and a balance between the two play an important role over the next couple of decades. And, you know, mentioned at the start there that you're the UK supply chain champion. Uh, Energy Voice, just at the beginning of the month in our supplement, did our supply chain health check. Where it was a, the supplement was very heavily focused on the, uh, the supply chain in the UK specifically. Now we're looking forward to offshore sure, Europe. Europe and you know how does that how do these two things mix? Are the supply uh, the supply chain firms sort of is there an opportunity there to get business at these sort of big events? Oh, absolutely. I think, um, and of course, offshore Europe is global as opposed to local. But of course, being as it's hosted in Aberdeen. Uh, it's it's a showcase. It's a potential showcase for a number of the companies, small and large, here in uh, in Aberdeen. And I believe the floor space is all rented out. So there's a lot of interest uh, and excitement in in attending it. And of course, there'll be attendees um, from you know, around the globe and the Middle East in particular. Actually, I believe this year there's a strong attendance from it. So our supply chain, whilst we talk about the UK supply chain. Um, we're really talking about a global supply chain that is based in the UK as opposed to a local um, supply chain. And my role is really with um, OE UK, Offshore Energies UK, as part of the North Sea Transition Deal. Mm-hmm. So it's there we made that agreement with government for a 16 billion investment from the industry and from government uh, to be able to support the um, decarbonisation of oil and gas, hydrogen and carbon capture. But a really key element in this was around supply chain. It was around looking at one of the most productive supply chains in the UK, the government's words, and helping them to understand what the energy transition could mean for their business and the skills to support that. So. 
What are the, the issues that the supply chain are facing then? Well, I think a lot of them did come out <clears throat> very well in the, um, uh, in the supplement. Uh, it was focused on the supply chain. And of course, I come from a strong supply chain background. So, you know, we went into, you know, from 2014 onwards, the, the supply chain is, is hugely resilient. We've been through a number of upturns and downturns. And of course, it's you know, many different companies and doing many different uh, capabilities, but it amounts to around 200,000 people. So from 2014 onwards, we saw a steady downturn. You couple that with the fact that the UK is a mature basin, declining um, naturally. And so, of course, you know, we'd seen a contracting of the workforce, we'd seen a contracting of, of, of work, and, and obviously the margins that supply chains need to be able to operate. You then add to that COVID, and the complete stop in, in activity for a short period of time before it picked back up. And coming out of that then, we have Brexit, we have um, the inflation that, that, that's happened um, since then, and of course the energy profit levy, which has caused great uncertainty around the, the, the work scope. And then also we're seeing the costs for materials and services increasing, third party costs for materials increasing by up to 20%. So supply chain, even with the natural resilience that's been built into it, and the fact that supply chain doesn't simply operate in oil and gas, it already operates in renewables and it operates in other industries. It's in an area and a place right now where there's not enough spare cash to do the R&D, to be able to understand what the transition means, to be able to bounce back quite as easily. It's been quite a sustained period um, of downturn for the supply chain. So I think that's where we are today. You know, you touched on uh, both renewables and inflation there, and we've seen, you know, how inflation's impacting the supply chain. You know, uh, we've seen uh, offshore wind projects cancelled over the past couple of weeks with uh, Norfolk <coughs> because of rising costs. How how does the supply chain, con uh, you know, fight that? How does it sort of get past this inflation well, i think this is the, the this you know this comes down to the challenges mm -hmm. that the industry is facing going forward so and i see these in you know in a couple of categories but one is absolutely the visibility of what future opportunities are but visibility without predictability isn't much use and in terms of predictability the energy profit levy has impacted predictability the cost of materials projects no longer being um uh, viable has also impacted but of course too when you then move into the renewable space if we take wind as an example you may see a huge number of seabed leases um, allocated but these the developers are in competition right up to the point when they can gain a commercial mechanism the contract for difference is called in wind so it's until they get that contract for difference which actually happens about five six years down the line and immediately thereafter you need to move into construction so there's no actual certainty on projects going ahead until the point when they need to construct very difficult for the supply chain to get ready to make the investment that they need in solutions even in people and in services so i think that lack of predictability is a big challenge for the supply chain um, currently and then I think another challenge, particularly when we talk about renewables, if you look at our supply chain <coughs> for oil and gas, you know, it's a hugely resilient and resourceful, actually, is, is the word I was looking for, supply chain. A number of the technologies that have been developed over the years are really <coughs> very applicable to the renewable transition that we're seeing underway. Gas management for hydrogen, floating structures, subsea structures um, in wind, and of course carbon capture and storage uh, in reservoirs. But what they do need is early investment. 
um, is they need early investment to get ready ahead of these projects. As I mentioned, the projects, when they come, when they're awarded um, or become real, they actually need to move into construction phase. So it's that early investment is a challenge, which we're seeing other countries address much better than we are at the moment. The Inflation Reduction Act in the US, super way to start building that industrial strength that we move forward. Denmark and a number of European countries have done the same. So I think the early investment, and we are talking about early investment now in a success story. We're not talking about propping up local industries for the sake of doing it. And then thirdly, I think the challenge is on skills. So at the moment, you know, it's not just um, the uh, energy industries, lots of industries are also trying to attract the skills of the future and the, the, gen the next generation of workers. In, and without predictability, it's difficult to know. There's a training period, there's a, a, a growth period. So there's quite a few challenges, I think, all coming together at the moment for the supply chain. But I do see there are solutions and strategies that can address this as well. Good, good. Well, you know, <coughs> if uh, touching on uh, solutions for a second, you know, like with the combat inflation and CFDs, you mentioned the Inflation Reduction Act over in the States and, yeah, the EU and, across, you know, various countries across Europe are combating that. But how, what would you cherry pick from those or add for the UK to, to sort of supply itself a sort of solid supply chain. Yeah, and I think, and this is where the work of um, OE UK, and as I mentioned, the North Sea transition deal. So I'm the supply chain champion within that stream, but OE UK is driving the work with Robert Gordons. So if you look at the first stumbling block, um, uh, is about the visibility of future projects, the pipeline. Um, predictability is a bit more challenging, as we mentioned. So OE UK with um, RGU have built, using a Power BI tool, uh, essentially a, a visibility tool which shows where the different projects are coming, both oil and gas, all forms of energy, in terms of oil and gas, in terms of future renewables, and that's widely available to the supply chain. You know, a number of tier one companies will do that analysis themselves. When you move down, and particularly at the um, small and medium enterprise um, level, they don't have the bandwidth and the resource to be able to look at this. So predictability and visibility, I think one of the feedbacks in um, OEUK's supply chain report was a number of companies now are forecasting you know, only about four weeks in advance because things change. So having that predictability and visibility helps hugely. And then secondly, it's about the early investment, as we mentioned. So the UK has been a great success story in, the UK government has created a great success story in attracting developers in. So the wind industry, for example, even carbon capture and hydrogen are growing faster initially than other countries. They put in place the right policies and um, fiscal mechanisms. Less of a success story in terms of building that industrial strength. They're trying to redress that now. So there is money available, and this money is in various pots in different areas. There's a huge R&D pot. Part of that could be repurposed, late-stage R&D, because we are talking about solutions that the renewable industry wants and needs. Pipe-and-pipe -pipe technology for um, high-speed cable definition, the marinization of, um, of solutions. It can be repurposed. And what they're asking for is where, where should we prioritise? So the next phase of the work we're doing now with OEUK is just kicked off and in a couple of months, we're mapping what is the capability of the energy supply chain today? What are the requirements that we can see for the future? Where are the gaps? And where are the areas where if you look at the strong capability that exists in the UK, digital, subsea, engineering, gas management, O&M, lots of it, where do we prioritise then making the investment? And, and the intent, of course, is not simply to invest for our local market, it's to invest in, in companies that have been successful so far to be able to give them a, uh, a foothold on the global stage and then create greater GVA. 
um, for the UK. So from that perspective, we are working with the government on that. And I think OEUK is to be really commended, actually, um, in doing that work. And then thirdly, it comes down to the policies, the fiscal regime, the skill sets. And there we are seeing quite a lot of discussion and collaboration between government, developers, supply chain on what's needed. I'm not seeing answers, I have to say. I'm seeing a lot of activity um, and discussion around it. But the fact people are talking about it um, is, is, is a help um, in, the, in, the, in the first instance. So I do see that there are solutions and strategies that are understood what's needed and you know, support in place. And then it comes down to the supply chain. It comes down to the supply chain, seeing the opportunity, understanding how to make money out of the opportunity as well and being given that help to simply help to be on a level playing field with what's happening elsewhere. You know, again, I'm going to reiterate, it's not a weak supply chain. It's a very innovative and strong supply chain. Um, it's just a case of bringing us to the same level of early investment that we see in other countries. Do those conversations that you know maybe are lacking the solutions, is the, there is the conversation happening but no solutions, is that frustrating to the supply chain? Is that something that's maybe getting under the skin a little bit where you know, they're, they're wanting, wanting action. Well, yes, in that, um, you know, with the supply chain, it's a lot of words. And also, and I'm, and I'm using it today, which I sort of need to apologise for, the supply chain is a number of different people, a number of different jobs, a number of different companies. We use it too, too loosely as a term um, for everyone. But there's, you know, a lot of discussion around what the supply chain needs. The company's needs are all different. What I will say is the visibility and predictability tool, the Power BI tool that Rob, uh, OEUK and RGU has developed, is actually seen as a real solid benefit for them. It enables them to forecast, it enables them to do analysis. And I think when we see this report come out, particularly along the way where we see the opportunities for the capabilities today to skew, that's a huge help to companies. A lot of companies look at the energy transition, look at what's going on, projects stopping, but many more projects going forward um, than stopping, and they're not quite sure where they fit in. So I think that practical help is, is of value to them. And you know, at the moment, the government is, and um, the industry bodies, making a big effort to get the supply chain involved in the discussions. And really, that's my role too. My role is to keep talking on behalf of these companies, explaining what they share with me, and ensuring that the government and the different um, areas of investment that many investors want to uh, come into the UK for renewables are actually put into contact with the right groups. Is that a struggle? You're saying that you know, as the supply chain champ, that's your job to speak on behalf of the supply chain, on, like to the government. But you know, you just said there that the supply chain is maybe too broad, uh, too much of a broad stroke term, and mm. uh, it, it covers maybe too much. Does that make it make the role slightly more challenging? And the fact that you've you've got to address all these different things under just sort of like one, one heading? No, and I think we need to be clear. My, my role is uh, sort of ambassadorial. So my role is to ensure that we, uh, that the government and all interested parties are aware that there is this strong innovative capability and that at the moment it's not being served to the same level as we see in other countries. It is then for the government and for the industry bodies themselves to actually link and listen to the individuals. It would be a full-time role, Ryan, if I was um, doing that. So it's an ambassadorial role, but it's an important role. It's important that at every discussion of importance on where we're placing investment, policies, fiscal, uh, is that there is a supply chain voice. And I'm one voice, there'll be a number of key people. You know, we've um, we've touched on offshore wind uh, throughout, and you know, there's often sort of criticism thrown at the the UK supply chain when we see things like infrastructure at Concordia going off to to Europe for 
for maintenance. Is that something that we can address? Is that something that we can fix? Or are we just lacking the infrastructure at the moment to work on these type of major projects? No, absolutely. It's something we can fix. I mean, you're from Aberdeen. You've seen the South Harbour. Um, and you know, the, the plan that the, the harbour has at the moment is engaging with the wind developers. Just needs a bit more dredging. You can easily take those, um, those structures in. But again, this all comes down to the visibility. So at the time, I'm guessing that Aberdeen Harbour and a number of harbours around the UK as we look at future works aren't clear on what's needed for the wind industry. So there's been a good piece of work by Renewables UK in terms of what port requirements are needed, what are the depths um, that are needed, you know, what is the laydown area that's needed, to what strength. All of that helps to give that granularity to a port to adapt. And Aberdeen Harbour, as is closest to Kincardine, um, I mentioned that one, but there are many good ports all around um, the UK has absolutely engaged now in discussions with the wind developers on what's needed uh, in order to take forward. So yes, we can. Um, we certainly can make that investment. And if you look at the next round of wind um, leases, seabed leases, the Celtic Sea, one of the pre-qualification requirements for all of the developers is to provide a plan of how they will use an integration port in the UK um, before they sail out. So again, that will encourage the developers, and that's what's needed from the government, is signals, what's important to invest in. Because no one developer can invest the amount that's needed. But if there's a clear signal on where the priorities are, developers collectively come together. And that's how we'll see things change. And, you know, just for those developers that already have existing infrastructure, they maybe don't have that commitment to use a, an integrated port in the UK, is it maybe too little too late as we're seeing these ports like the South Harbour sort of build up and they, they are capable of now taking this offshore wind work? Are developers maybe already, have they already built up these relationships with yards overseas or the fact that they're on, uh, the, these ports are on their doorstep, is that going to win work? Uh, well, from a port perspective, it's absolutely going to win work. Towing a floating unit the least distance, believe me, is very important to a developer. Um, also, the least time off station, because you're not generating um, income if you're not there. So, no, I think the opportunity is there. And I think the opportunity is now. Again, you know, Kincardine is one of the very few floating offshore fields uh, in production. And this is why I think I assumed the role of the supply chain champion is because I see floating offshore wind now with a huge uptick. Again, the UK has gone way ahead of all other countries. So if we can get it right now and build the capability to support uh, offshore floating wind here in the UK, and I'm talking about the subsea capability, the cabling capability, right down to the connections, one of the biggest issues for developers, uh, for wind developers as well in the cables in terms of maintenance. If we can make that investment now when we have the work on our doorstep, it'll help us from a global perspective as well. And do you have that confidence that we can sort of set up, you know, we're already sort of leading the way, leading the charge a little bit in flowing wind, but do you think we can keep that lead or is, is there a sort of concern that maybe others... Well, you, for any company, you keep a lead for so long and then others catch up. But you know, it's very difficult to... First mover advantage is very difficult for others to catch up with uh, because you've made the investment, you've embedded the investment, and so then you move into a more competitive um, field, but you have the advantage on it. So coming from a supply chain background, believe me, first mover advantage is always a benefit. So looking at the sort of wider energy market, we've obviously spoken quite extensively on, on the energy transition, on offshore wind, but looking maybe to our traditional markets like our oil and gas, 
what are the, the stumbling blocks in oh, for the supply chain there? Are they sort of similar to the, the offshore wind sector? Or? Well, no, because, I mean, from an oil and gas perspective, we're talking about a supply chain that spent decades mm -hmm. um, uh, supporting the um, offshore oil and gas sector. I think the challenge has been, you know, the uncertainty created by the energy profit level. We're getting a bit more certainty. Also, the uncertainty around the political messaging around oil and gas as well, which we're now seeing become much clearer in terms of the statements that are coming out. Because for many of the um, oil and gas companies, investor confidence is really important. So if they hear the UK government's not committed or the Scottish government's not committed, it has an impact. The challenges here for the supply chain, I think are a bit more short term. It is about the inflation has caused the cost um, to go up. So to being able to deliver and still create a margin, which you need to be able to employ people, um, is the challenge, I think. So it's a different type of challenge. And one we faced before in other ways as well. I think um, it's, of course, exacerbated because it is a declining market. And so I think for supply chain companies now to be looking at how do they broaden their scope is important as they look um, to the future. We have seen a decline in the supply chain size. We see people moving capability to other areas where oil and gas is maybe growing um, faster. So we need to be able to encourage and embed here in the UK, the supply chain's innovation towards different solutions that are needed for broader industries. You know, um, you know. Speaking of uh, speaking about policy, obviously you've got the energy profits levy, and you've got maybe earlier in the year, maybe less so now, but earlier in the year you had Labour pulling in one direction, saying mm. that if they were to be elected, there'd be no new oil and gas in the Conservatives, saying that hundreds of new licences will be awarded in this mm. upcoming leasing round. How how does that trickle down to the? the supply chain, obviously the operators are, are worried and obviously that impacts their, uh, the supply chain's work. Does it also impact work that's happening right now where developers may be going, let's sort of cool, uh, cool our beans a little bit, let's slow down a little bit because we don't know where we're going to be in 15, 20 years time? Yeah, and I think, and, and I'm not an expert on this, so I, I, it's not having as much impact on work that's and uh, ongoing, because certainly at the, um, from an OEUK level, you know, the, we have a lot of discussions around this. It's the investor confidence in new opportunities. Generally, when an investment decision is made, it's been continued. And we haven't seen even Labour or um, Scottish Government or um, the Conservatives actually state that existing oil and gas fields would be shut down. It's all about new fields. Um, so it's reducing the workload, I think, rather than um, slowing down the pace of existing work. And, you know, obviously, you know, there's not just the fact that, you know, policies may be slowing down the work, but also we're, we're dealing with a, a ageing basin, you know, mm -hmm. there is ultimately less oil yeah. and gas in the North Sea. And so as we get to that point where maybe we don't, maybe there's less work happening in, in oil and gas just naturally, how should supply chain firms that maybe are deeply rooted in oil and gas try the shift or are, are they just best place maybe moving somewhere that does have a sort of more prominent oil and gas market? And I think companies will make their own choices. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, that is very much an individual company decision as to where they wish to pivot their company or how broad 
Um, they want to be, again, the, the piece of work that um, OEUK did, the Power BI tool, shows that around about 25, 26 is when there's the crossing point. There's more work in renewables than there is in oil and gas. So at least it gives that indicator to companies in the, in the supply chain that, well, okay, if I want to be based in the UK, if I want to broaden my capability, I need to be looking to invest ahead of that time, at the very latest at that particular point in time. But it's an individual company decision, I think. And do you know, while, while I've got you here, I always end all of these interviews with the exact same question. Is there anything else you'd like to tell the Energy Voice Out Loud uh, listeners while you're here? Uh, it's always, it's <laughs> always the most difficult <laughs> question. Actually, it's one of the, it is particularly, you know, I'm, I'm sticking my role here as the um, supply chain champion. I think if I said anything, and it depends on the, I guess, the breadth of the audience, if it's the oil and gas supply chain listening to this, they will know this already. But I cannot speak highly enough about the capability and the innovation that's been driven out of the oil and gas industry in so many different ways in terms of you know reducing costs in terms of shortening timelines in terms of going to areas where we couldn't before we're talking here about a world-class supply chain and it's about how do we help that supply chain or how do we give them the tools give them the tools to enable them to be able to transition effectively against other countries and regions where maybe less effective actually um, supply chains are being championed and supported financially to be successful. So, so for me, I think it's a case of the oil and gas supply chains are one of the best supply chains in the world, capability-wise. Well, thank you very much for joining us. And thank you very much for listening. If you would like to stay part of that global energy conversation, stay tuned to Energy Voice Out Loud. <laughs>